All right, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And we'll be looking at verse 19 to verse 30 tonight. We have a little bit of a longer section. This section's a little bit more biographical and historical, um, but as all portions of Scripture are, they are given of God and they are given for our learning, our admonition, and our growth in Christ. We're going to see um, some traits and some factors of what it means to serve the Lord in the lives of these men. I've entitled the message, if you want to give it a title, Slaves for Jesus. And um, we mean that word in the best possible connotation. It is a privilege to serve the Lord, it is a privilege to do His will. And as we look at these three characters that we're going to look at tonight, we see how they live for Christ, and then we want to learn from them and their lives how we ought to live for Christ. You know, it is a little, I guess, interesting, and maybe if you really meditate on it, it's a little eerie, because as we read the words of Scripture, we're reading about people who have been dead and gone for many, many years. But we are still now talking about the choices they made. We're still talking about the lives that they lived. And you know, each of us is writing a story with our life. Each of us has chapters to our life. And one day, each of us will write our final chapter. And some people know they're writing their last chapter, and some people don't know they're writing their last chapter. But the point is, is that as we go through life, the heart that we have, the way that we live, the things we prioritize, they all tell a story, don't they? They all send a message. And as I read of these three in the text, I see some people that wrote their story for the Lord. They lived their lives for the Lord. Each of us is called to different employment and different details. Maybe we're married, maybe we're single, maybe we're at different stages of life. We all have a different story in some sense, but there are some parts of our story that if we're the Lord's should be the same. And that's what we want to see some of those things here tonight. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. If you're able to stand with me, do so for the reading of God's word. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. Paul writes and says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly to you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your condition. For I have no like-minded man who will naturally care for your condition. For all seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him presently, as soon as I see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he who ministered to my needs. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick and near death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and honor such people, because for the work of Christ he was near death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. Let's pray together. Uh, Pastor Jeremiah, would you pray?
Amen. Please be seated. I think that if Paul lived today, he would be super envious of some of our technological capabilities. Um, he would love the idea that you could pull up a phone and you could look at the screen and you could hit FaceTime and you could pull up people, you know, thousands of miles away and on the other side of the world and you could see them face to face and you, he could just talk. It would be amazing to him. He would love that. He lived in a very different world. He loved the people, but they were separated and much more separated than we are today. Our world has gotten very small. Uh, you can fly around the world. You can send messages around the world. It's just so different in our day, right? For Paul, he had a love and a care for these Philippians, but his ability to communicate with them was very limited. He's writing them this letter, and it's going to take days to get there, and he has to send it by the hand of someone else, and then after a time that someone else is going to come back and he's going to hear, we read about uh, who that will be, uh, two different people he's going to send. So Paul had a group of people around him. He had co-laborers, he had other servants of God, and so he would use some of these different ones as runners. And Timothy got sent on a lot of difficult work. I mean, he got sent to some tough places sometimes, and he got sent to clean up some messes, if you will. But... Um, but the point is that there's people that are working together with Paul to see the churches built up. And as we read about them, just consider in your own heart and your own soul of this is what they did to serve the Lord. What is it that I can do to serve the Lord? Right? This is the life that they lived. What is the life that I ought to live for the Lord Jesus? And um, I think we'll see some of that more in detail as we go. Let's look at verse 19. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly to you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your condition. He basically said, one of the reasons I want to send Timothy is so that he can come back and tell me what's going on, and then I will feel better about you. What is the concern that Paul has for the Philippians? What is it that he's worried about? I believe he's worried about the division. Seems to be the only negative thing that's really talked about in the book, is that there's some parties at odds, and there's some division in the church, and the church is not unified. He would love to hear otherwise right? He would love for Timothy to go and come back and say, you know what? They are unified. There's no division. There's no arguments. They're working together as a team. They love each other in the Lord. That's what Paul would want to hear. And you know, you know what word he uses? He says, I may be of good comfort. Comfort. Paul says, I want Timothy to comfort me. And the way he's going to do it is he's going to go and then he's going to come back and I'm going to hear a good report. That will comfort me. That will let me know what's going on with you all. Um, sometimes you think of a mom who sends off a kid to school for the first time ever, right? And it's kindergarten, out the, the door goes the kid. And you know, uh, if a mom's real loving and connected with her child, like most good moms are, she's going to be thinking throughout the day, oh, I wonder what they're doing now, you know? Oh, I wonder, I wonder if he's been hurt on the playground. I wonder, I wonder if he's enjoying school or not. And I wonder how it's going, right? And then when that kid comes back home from school, she says, tell me about it. Now, like most kids, they'll probably say, it was fine. It was good, you know. Oh, come on, tell me some more. Tell me about your day. Paul's no different with this church. He says, I'm going to send Timothy, and I want to know. He says, basically, Timothy was going to comfort Paul. He was going to give reassurance to Paul. And can I just say that for a pastor... One thing that does not bring comfort to our heart, but brings concern instead, is when the church is divided, right? And when there are people that are at odds with each other and people that don't love each other in the church. That's a difficult thing. 
And Paul says, I want you to comfort me. And the way we're going to do it is we're going to send Timothy and he'll bring back and then I will know your condition. So Timothy was a messenger, but he was a messenger of comfort to Paul. And he was a message of reassurance. Now he goes on to say in verse 20, for I have no like-minded man who will naturally care for your condition. He again brings up their condition. That word like-minded means literally it's the same souled, same souled man, like-minded. And the, the idea of this naturally is the idea of truly or genuinely or sincerely. And basically Paul is saying Timothy is a one kind of guy. He is a special guy. He's not like your average Joe Blow. He is a unique guy and there's no one else that understands what I'm looking for. There's no one else that can see what's going on like he can. And you know, Proverbs tells us confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a, do you remember what it is? It's like a what? A what? A broken tooth and a foot out of joint. And how many of you have ever had something out of joint in your body? Anybody? We have no out of jointers. We have one. Was it painful? Okay, I was hoping you'd say yes, because I needed that to, to be there. It's painful. It's painful when you have a body part out of joint. And what Paul is saying, he's like, you know, as I look at my options here, I'm sorry, but Timothy's the only guy. He's the only one I can send because he's the one that's going to really care. He's the one that's like-minded. He's going to know what I want to figure out, and he's going to have my heart. And Timothy is just in tune with Paul, and he's in tune with the Lord. And these are two things that are helping in this whole situation, right? Um, to be in tune with the team that God has placed you on, to be in tune with the Lord Jesus, to have a heart of faithfulness. Timothy goes and Paul says, he's the one. I'm sending Timothy. He's the one I can count on. He's the one that's like-minded. He's the one that's faithful. I can trust him. He will get the job done. I wonder if your teammates could say that about you that they're the one that will get the job done. They're the one that I can count on. They're the one that is in tune with the Lord and they're going to see the situation properly. Timothy served Paul in this way as being a, a messenger, as being a co-laborer, but it was not just because one day Timothy flipped a coin and said, oh, I guess I'll serve the Lord, right? People don't serve the Lord uh, um, by accident. They don't serve the Lord and do what God wants them to do because they just felt like it one day, but rather there was a daily, purposeful looking after what God wanted, right? And continuing, continuing, and God continued to bless and lead. And one day, Paul said, this is the guy. He's the one that's like-minded. He's the one that I can trust. Years ago, Paul had met Timothy, and he was actually a youth. He was in his teens, probably when Paul first met him. Late teens, perhaps. And he starts taking him on the journeys, right? He starts going around with Paul. There was a huge process that led up to this time. In a little bit uh, later, we're going to talk about the timeline and, and kind of how it connects with the story. But let's just say that Paul and Timothy have known each other for years at this point in time. And sometimes um, there is a benefit to, to time, right? And time has a way of bonding hearts and helping people understand one another. Timothy and Paul have spent years together. And at this point, Paul trusts Timothy deeply. Now notice what he says in verse 21. He goes on to describe why he trusts him so much. For all seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ. This is why Paul trusted Timothy. 
Because he said, everyone else is looking for their own piece of the pie. Everyone else is looking for their own agendas, their own feelings, their own whatever. But they're not looking out for the Lord Jesus' mission. They're not looking on the things that line up with the Lord Jesus. You're probably familiar with uh, Philippians 3, I'm sorry, Philippians 2 verse 4. Look back to Philippians 2 verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Right? We just went through this a few weeks ago. And here Paul is instructing the Philippians to do this, but now he says, notice it's, re- it's kind of shocking and almost negative the way he phrases it. Look at what the verse says. For all seek their own. Now, clearly there's exceptions because Timothy doesn't, right? And, and we know Paul doesn't. But I think Paul is just speaking in colloquial language, kind of like we would say everyone is, you know, looking out for their own interests. Now, we don't literally mean every single person, but we're making a broad statement that most people and almost everyone, right? Everybody is out here looking for their own interests and not for the interests of the Lord. But Paul said, look at Philippians 1.21, Paul said something different of himself. He said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. Paul said, I can trust Timothy because he's like-minded. And Timothy was like-minded in what way? That he cared about the Lord. He cared about the things of the Lord. And that's why Paul could trust him so implicitly. That word seek is interesting. For all seek their own. There's some other Bible verses that talk about seek, right? Colossians 3.1 Seek those things which are above. How about the verse on prayer that says ask, seek, and knock. Right? Seeking. Looking for. Going after. And the question for us is, what is it that we're seeking? What are you going after? What are you looking for? I know there are some people that are looking for something. They are seeking after something. And the question for us tonight is, what is it that we're seeking? Paul says, all men seek their own. They seek their own way. They seek their own things, their own desires, their own wants. But this man, Timothy, that's, that's not what he's seeking let me, let's put it this to you this way. What if God gave you what you were seeking for? What would you have? What would you hold in your hand if God gave you what you're seeking for? You know, I hope all of us would say that we would have some answered prayers. I hope all of us would say that we would have a, maybe some people saved in our life, that friends or family that we're praying for. I hope that we would be seeking after the things that God wants us to seek after, right? What if, what if God just gave us everything we were seeking for and the only thing we had to show it was Um, a bunch of fun and some money, right? Wouldn't that be an empty day? You might say, well, yeah, it's great. You got what you wanted. But I think for what the text here is saying is, Timothy, he just has a different outlook. He has a different heart of what he's looking for, what he's seeking after. He has a different heart. Now, look in verse 22 and 23. Here we see character, the character that Timothy had. And verse 23, I'm sorry, verse 22 says, But you know his proven character, that as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him presently, as soon as I see how it will go with me. He says in these two verses that he has a proven character. I like that word proven. 
In other words, over the years, Timothy had proven himself, and Paul could trust him, he could trust his character, proven character, and then he describes it as the relationship of a son with a father. Um, this is what I call devotion. This is a family relationship. You know, he doesn't describe the relationship as a master-slave relationship, does he? <laughs> he doesn't say, he's served with me, I was the master, he was the slave. No, but he says, as a father with a son. Um, I don't know the best examples that you have of like father and son teamwork or a father and son working together. But I think if you think through history and around the world in all cultures and all times, probably the, the most common example of a father and son partnership is in a business. And there's a family business. And for many, many years, in many, many eras, that was the way life often took. The dad was a farmer, the kid would be a farmer. The dad was this, and the kid would be that. But there would be a season where the kid was old enough and he would work with his dad. And he would listen to his dad and he would work together with his dad and dad would show him how to work the tools or run the business or keep the books. And there was that father-son relationship where Timothy and Paul had that, that feeling together and where Paul was teaching and he was the older one and he was the more experienced one and Timothy was learning and Timothy was getting that same heart. And it's, it's a good example of ministry partnership, right? Of people working together for the Lord. But I also just want to remind us that each one of us here, we have a heavenly father. And we are the children. And we have that relationship with God where he is the all-wise one and we are the, the, the growing and learning child, right? And he teaches us, he is patient with us. And even as we think in the New Testament where Jesus said that we can take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart, right? We can walk with Jesus. We can work with Jesus. He can teach us. He can model the truth before us, and He can lead us in our hearts. So Paul had this relationship with Timothy, but we have this relationship with God the Father, a father and a son. But the final phrase in verse 32, I'm sorry, in verse 22, it says, he has served with me in the gospel. This word served is where I got our title from tonight. This word serve is the verb form of slave. Okay, And so he does say there's a father-son relationship, but now he says he has served. And he uses that metaphor of, of, of a slave, of an indentured, a bond servant serving. And he says, he's served with me in the gospel. Do you know how it's different? Paul didn't say that he served me and I was the master and he was the, the slave. That's not what Paul says. Paul says he has served with me. I served, he served, right? We served together. Who was the master? The Lord was the master, right? The Lord was the master and they were both serving. That's why Paul calls himself a bond servant and a slave. And he uses that term, terminology of himself. And so I call this the duty. He says there's devotion with the Father and the Son, and then there's duty. Serving with me in the gospel. Serving with me in the gospel. That's a, that's a really good phrase, serving in the gospel. How do we serve in the gospel? Well, there's two ways that I want to talk about this. Serving in the gospel, I think, has the idea of serving the gospel purposes, but before we get to that, I want to just talk about the fact that we serve because we have the gospel, right? There was a day that I was without the gospel. Was there a day you were without the gospel? Yes. 
We were lost. We were in sin. We were unforgiven. We were apart from God. But then the truth of the Gospel came to us and we heard of Christ. We heard of His salvation. We heard of His forgiveness. And by faith, we received that Gospel, right? And that good news changes our heart. It changes our trajectory. And now we're God's child. Now He's working in our life. And now we serve as a recipient of the Gospel. We've been saved. We've been cleansed. We've been changed, right? So now, now we serve in the Gospel. We serve in the good news. We have the good news to give. We have the good news to rejoice in. Every day we can rejoice in the fact that we live in the Gospel. We live inside the good news. The good news has come to us and now it's ours. It's ours permanently. We can now give it out. So we serve having received the Gospel, but we also serve Gospel purposes. Gospel mission. Gospel causes. And Paul and Timothy, man, when you want to talk about serving in the Gospel, these guys, they, they trekked all over the place. I mean, they went from city to city. They went from place to place. They would go on ships and they would um, receive offerings and at times Paul would be imprisoned. And at this point, Paul is writing from house arrest. He's in an apartment in Rome under house arrest. He has Roman soldiers chained to him and Paul can write and say, I've got this guy named Timothy and he has been serving in the gospel with me. Do you think it was encouraging to Paul, having been locked up for years, years, to have a guy like Timothy on his side? I think so. Do you know what he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy? He says this, No man stood with me. All men forsook me. And he talks about being all alone. But at this point in time, Paul's together with Timothy. And even though he's chained to Roman soldiers and he's under house arrest, he says, He has served with me in the gospel. I'm going to send him to you. I can trust him. He has devotion like a son to a father. He has fulfilled his duty like a servant. He's served in the gospel. And so Paul has confidence and he's, he's not worried about sending Timothy. And he says in verse 23, Therefore I hope to send him presently as soon as I see how it will go with me. Paul says it, it kind of rolls off very vaguely and very abstract just as soon as I see how it will go with me. But do you know what Paul means when he says, when I see how it will go with me? He's talking about his court case. And he's saying, I don't know the outcome. Do you know what the outcome would have been if he had lost? He would have died. And, and he says, you know, I want to come see you, Philippians, but I also want to go to be with the Lord. He talked about that earlier. And he says, I'm going to send Timothy presently as soon as I find out how it's going to go with me. In other words, if I'm released, if I win my court case, I will be released and I will, I will know that I can send him. But I don't know yet. I don't know. And this leads us to this timeline that Paul had been locked up for years. At this point, he's probably around four to maybe four and a half years of imprisonment. He spent two years in Caesarea. He spent about nine months getting to Rome with all the travel and the delays and the problems. And then he had been in Rome, and we know he was in Rome at least two years. So we're up to like two, four years and nine months at a minimum, and maybe a little longer. So it's probably coming on four, around four years that he's been locked up. And he says, as soon as I figure out how it will go with me, I will send Timothy on to you. Now notice verse 24. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. 
Paul says, I hope I'm coming too. I hope I can come shortly. And he uses that word shortly. I, I have to say, Paul, I think, had learned some patience after all these years. There's some light at the end of the tunnel. Paul says, I want to come. I want to come to you, and I myself shall, shall be there shortly. The one thing I want to say about Paul's patience in this verse is that God allowed this to take place in his life. I know for me, if I had been in prison for four years, I don't know if I could write so joyously, right? But Paul writes full of joy. And I don't know if I could stay on point and on mission like Paul did, but Paul clearly was. He was on point and he was on mission. And here in, in this verse, he says, I'm, I'm gonna, I trust in the Lord, I'm going to come shortly. Soon, soon I will come. And I say all this to say that some difficulties in our lives are not meant to be removed. Some difficulties that we have are meant to be endured. They're meant to be gone through. And it's, it's easy to pray and want certain difficulties removed. And sometimes we should, and sometimes God does. He sometimes removes things off of our plate, and He heals, and He cleanses, and He puts things behind us. And sometimes that's how He works. But there's other things where God says, here it is, this is a difficulty, and you're going to need to see it through. You're going to need to see it through to the end. And so for some people, they have a burden or a problem or situation that they carry with them for years. Some carry it until death. But God gives them grace. And here Paul is, he's locked up and he says, I trust in the Lord that very soon, shortly, I will come to you. That takes faith. He was not despondent. He was not giving up. He was saying, this is what's next for me. I believe I'm at the end. I think God's bringing me to the end of this thing. And I will come to be with you shortly. You know, he was not derailed by these years of imprisonment. Um, we have such blessings in Scripture because he was, right? These books, Philippians is one of them. We get to read of how God worked in his heart and what God did and, and how he went through some of these things. And so God is doing his refining work. God is doing his glorifying work. God is doing his humbling work in our life. And we, we must not just uh, wish it away or pretend it away, but we have to live through it and grow through it. Um, Paul is, he's flourishing right here, isn't he? He's not just hanging on by the end of his nails. He's flourishing. And I just, I pray for us as a church that we will be a flourishing church um, corporately and individually, right? It, corporately as a group for whatever uh, challenges come our way, whatever blessings come our way, that we will flourish. But individually too, in, in our own life, uh, in our jobs, in our marriages, in our homes, you know, uh, Satan wants us to think that we go through um, difficulties because God has forgotten or he's abandoned. No, no, God is doing a work and he is doing a work where we can always grow and flourish and take a step forward for the Lord. Like this is what God wants from us. Um, I was just doing Bible study with someone recently and we were going through James 1 and we were talking about enduring temptation in James 1 verse 12. And I said, you know, temptation, it says very clearly in verse 13 that temptation is not from God. But it also says that blessed is the man that endureth temptation. And I said, God has a mission in temptation. That is that you will do right, that we will do good. And then Satan has a mission in temptation and that's that we'll fail and that we'll disobey. And see, everyone goes through difficulty and trial, right? And Satan says, this is a reason to give up. And God says, oh no, this is a reason to trust me. Right? Completely different perspectives on the very same trial. Paul had sat in, in imprisonment, in bondage for years. 
But he was not letting that control his thinking. He was looking forward to the next thing. He was ready to come see the Philippians. And I just see in the heart of Paul that he is looking forward to the next thing that God's going to do. And I hope that that's your spirit and your attitude. Always looking forward to what God's going to do next. Let's close in prayer. And I hope God will uh, apply these things to your heart and your life. We'll get to Epaphroditus next time. Um, let's pray and then we'll take any questions or comments. Oh Lord, I thank you for this time to look at the life of Timothy, most specifically to see his heart for you. We also looked at Paul and these are two of your servants and we want to learn from their example. Um, none of us here are imprisoned or chained to a soldier. We are not Paul and we're not Timothy, but Lord, we are the people that you have put right here in 2023. And we pray that we will serve you with the same heart of passion, with the same devotion, with the same simple, sweet uh, focus as these did. And where, wherever we find ourselves, help us to serve you to the full, serving you heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And I thank you for the examples of Paul and Timothy here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, any question or comment uh, to be added?